time, we're going to read, uh, have a psalm read to us. And uh, this psalm that we're going to read, you're going to hear it read from the scriptures. Then you're going to hear this same psalm sung as a song. Because the psalms in the Bible were originally songs. So you're going to hear it read. You're going to hear it sung. Stay seated for both and let the word of God receive the word of God this morning. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us, to, asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. hear in that song. It's not a song you sing at a birthday party. It's not a song you sing at a graduation. That song is a, a sad song. Uh, we play with minor chords, and this song was a song, so, a song, was a so, a song sung by the Jews, um, and they lived in a land called Babylon. So let me tell you how, let me, set up a, let me set the stage for you. If you read the Old Testament of the scriptures, you'll very quickly see it's about a family that becomes a nation. There's this man named Abraham who has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, 
who has 12 sons, 12 tribes. And they become this nation called Israel. And God Almighty calls this people and says, I want you to be my people and I will be your God. He makes a covenant with this people. I will provide for you, I'll protect you, but I expect from you faithfulness, fealty, loyalty, love. And you read about thousands of years of this nation called Israel being unfaithful to their God. They turn to idols. They fall into great injustice. I was reading Micah recently, and Micah was talking about how some of the, the wealthy landowners in Israel, um, in Israel, in, that, in the ancient Near East, uh, if a woman, her husband died, she could not own land, so her sons had to put it in their name. If she had no sons, what would happen? Well, in Micah, it tells us that some of the rich would, would watch out for widows whose husbands would die, and they would take the land from this vulnerable, defenseless widow. Like I said, look at what you've become. You rob widows and orphans. The nation becomes this wicked, broken place. And you, as you read the Bible, you see this like pattern emerge that Israel will leave the Lord, will be unfaithful. Punishment will fall. Judgment will fall upon the nation. And then you'll see the people will call upon God. We're sorry. And then God will show up and he'll restore the people. There comes a point in about 586 B.C., where the nation is so wicked, God hands them over. Babylon comes from the east, from the west. And they march in, and this great army. Now, Babylon is a monster. Like, they used to talk, they talk about the seven ancient wonders of the world. You've heard that, the seven wonders of the ancient world? Uh, the, 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 um, there was the, the wall in China, there's a Taj Mahal. There were the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was so wealthy, so ornate. The, 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 their great city, their capital was a, they say it was something to behold. It was wonderful and mighty. Babylon marches against Jerusalem, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they defeat Jerusalem. They break the walls of Jerusalem, and they burn God's temple to the ground. And they take the Jews and bring them into exile. And it was there in Babylon the Jews would sing this song. In the psalm that was read, it said that the Babylonian captives would tell the Jews, sing us one of your songs, one of your happy songs of praise from back home. And how can we sing a happy song of praise? We are prisoners in a foreign land. Daniel begins this way. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave him up. Babylon did not defeat Israel. God gave them up to their enemy for their wickedness. Also gave them some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. So what happens is when, when, when Nebuchadnezzar invades the temple, in the temple there are these things that are beautiful and ornate. Remember how in Exodus at the mountain they build the Ark of the Covenant? Remember Indiana Jones, Ark of the Covenant? 
It's, it's, it's made out of gold. And there's, there's like golden lampstands. There's this big old like thing made of, for water, this big basin. And it's all ornate. It's made out of gold. There's jewels in it. And because it's just like, take it all, bring it to my God and put it in his temple. This is my stuff now. Not only that, it says this. And the king said to Asphenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal seed and of the nobles. So they grab some of the young and they bring them all back to Babylon. This is where the book of Daniel takes place. As we read this book, you have to understand this truth. Babylon is not Daniel's home. As you read this book, remember, Babylon is not Daniel's home. He's growing up far from the place he played when he was a child. He was born somewhere else. His parents were born somewhere else. He is a transplant to this new land. Doesn't speak their language. He is not Babylonian. Babylon is not Daniel's home. And throughout the scriptures, Babylon is often used, the name Babylon is used to reference any empire that stands against God. So Paul will call Rome Babylon. In Revelation, at the end of the world, John says Babylon will come from the west. Babylon's gone. He just means some great empire that has no regard from God. So Babylon becomes this word that means any system, any government that hates the Lord, they call Babylon in the Bible. Now listen, just like Babylon is not Daniel's home, for the believer in Jesus, this world is not our home. We just studied 1 Peter for a while, and Peter told his disciples, and he told us over and over again, we are strangers and aliens in this world. This world is not our home. We serve a different king than the kings of this earth. Different values, different purpose. We don't fit here. Why? Because we don't belong here. Just like Babylon is not Daniel's home, this world is not our home. It goes on. The, youth, the young people that Nebuchadnezzar wanted, listen to what he wanted, verse 4. He wanted youths in whom there was no defect, who were good in appearance, showing insight in every branch of wisdom, being thoroughly knowledgeable and discerning knowledge, who had the ability to stand in the king's palace. And he says, okay, so this is what he wants. The king wants the best of the best. He wants the Jewish young men who are attractive, he wants to be strong, wants to be well-educated, and he even says he wants young guys who are able to stand in the presence of the king. What does that mean? He wants people to know how to behave in the palace. People who are socially aware, socially intelligent. He wants the best of the best. I want you to be strong, I want you to be smart, and I want you to be socially knowledgeable on how to act when you're in public. A lot of us, that social intelligence one is hard for a lot of us, knowing how to act in public. Um, if you ever meet someone that's famous, there's a temptation in you that rises up. If, if you meet someone that you really, like you value their music or their movies or their art, you want to be like, oh my gosh, it's you! You want to just be like gushy and lovey. 
That's a really, really embarrassing thing to do in public. I was in the airport, and in the airport I was at, stinking um, the guy from the office, um, Michael Scott. Steve Carell was in the lobby with us, in the lounge. Steve Carell, as you know, he's a handsome man. He's gone full gray, and it looks nice on him. And he's sitting there looking all good, and everyone around us is whispering like, that's Steve Carell. And he, all this poor guy, all he wants to do is sit there and wait for his plane. You people come up to him like, oh, Mr. Carell, I love your show so much. And you tell he's nice. You tell he's just like, just leave me alone. Now listen, what you don't do in that moment, you don't just go gushy and go, you're the best, I love your show so much, I watch it every single year. You don't go crazy and embarrasses them, embarrasses you. That's not good. If you gotta say hello, you gotta play it cool. You gotta go, Mr. Crutch wanted to say, I appreciate your work, just wanted to say hi, thanks so much. And you walk away. That's playing it cool. I played it super cool. I just stayed in my seat. I, I, I could tell he just, I'm like, he wants to alone. I'm, I, I got like a selfie over the shoulder, like, he's right there. But other than that, I didn't do anything else. I didn't, I want to no one would believe me, right? You know, I'm like, there he is, right over there, here's me, there's that. Like, um, you got to play it cool. The king wants people in his palace who know how to behave around dignitaries and royalty and the movies and shakers of the world. He wants the big dogs. That's what he wants to do. To the, he wants the best that Hebrews have to offer. Then he says this. And he said to teach them the literature and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they were stand before the king. They're going to a three-year cultural school. You got to see what's going to happen next. Babylon wants to reshape Daniel. Babylon wants to retrain and reshape Daniel. The king says, listen, teach them our language, teach them our arts. I want you to make them, you're not Jewish no more, you got to become Babylonian. You got to learn the language, and it says you got to learn their books, their arts. Here's the deal, what, what books did Daniel know? He knew the books of God, the book of the law. He had to learn the books of Babylon's gods. Their stories and their beliefs. Not only that, listen to this. It says this. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the commander of the officials set names for them. For Daniel, he set the name Belteshazzar. For Hananiah, Shadrach. For Mishael, Meshach. For Azariah, Abednego. He changes their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their new names have meanings. Their old names gave glory to God. Their new names give glory to the Babylonian gods. Azariah, in this church we have two babies named Azariah. How awesome is that? Azariah is a name, I believe it means like God be praised. His name becomes Abednego, which means Nebo be praised. He redefines their identity by giving them a new name. Babylon wants to reshape these kids in the image of their culture. Listen, the Bible tells us clearly in Romans 12, the world is going to try to shape us 
in its image. Listen to this. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not be shaped by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, we live in a culture. And our culture is not neutral. Our culture has values and beliefs. And our culture is attempting to shape us according to its values and beliefs. So the question is this. How do Christians, how do Christ followers, how do we live in a culture that is indifferent and sometimes antagonistic to our God? How is a Christian to live in a culture that is sometimes indifferent, but sometimes straight up antagonistic to our God? Now, throughout history, the church has answered this question in different ways. How, now, if you're a note taker, now's the time to take some notes. I'm going to drop some wisdom bombs on you guys right now. How has the church through history engaged culture? One of the go-to moves of the church is the strategy of condemning the culture. Some Christians say, you know what? The culture's bad. I come from a Baptist heritage, and us Baptists, we know how to condemn some culture. Like dancing, right? Dancing was bad. Listen, when I was a kid. I, when I was a new believer. I'm 14 years old. I'm at, now, for me, I would often bike to church, hang out at the church building because for me, church was safe. You know what I'm saying? Like home was kind of chaotic. I'd go to church building just to be around people that were kind to me. And we hope that this building becomes a haven for our neighborhood as well. Almost every day of the week, we have teenagers, we have homeless people come by asking for water or for a place to use the restroom, and we welcome and serve people that come into our building. We want this building to be used as a haven. So when I was a kid, I would go to the church and hang out and play games. I played play Monopoly in the basement of the church all the time. Well, one day I'm with my boys, and we're playing penny poker in the basement. And the pastor finds us, and he is, he is scandalized. They're playing poker in God's house. So he said, you can't play poker. I'm like, why not? It's just cards. Like, you're gambling in God's house, and gambling's a sin. I'm like, oh, I didn't know, man. I'm new to this game. And I'm like, it's just pennies. We found these out in the dirt. We can't even buy a Delia Ranch with this money. He says, no, no gambling. I'm like, okay, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. We won't ever gamble again. The next month, I get invited to go with the pastors on a golf scramble. And I'm like, I've never been on one before. And everyone pays money, right, to go to the golf scramble. They tell me whoever wins, wins that money. I'm like, wait a second. This reminds me of something. We call this gambling. <laughs> but I'm saying, Baptists, we were really good at condemning culture. And for some people, for some, some Christians, that's their go-to move. Culture is bad. I've heard sermons against Facebook. I've heard sermons, I heard a preacher once, no lie. I can't even tell you guys this. I heard a preacher once go to war about young men wearing colored underwear. If you wore colored briefs of the devil, and I'm like, oh, my briefs are blue. <laughs> like, I, like, it was like, I'm like, we, my crew, my tribe, they knew how to go to war against random issues. That's one way to, in, in, to, to engage cultures, condemn it. Another way to engage culture is to critique it, to critique it. 
Francis Schaeffer and C.S. Lewis were masters at this. They were highly educated guys who would like read poetry and read literature and watch films and they'd engage the ideas of those movies saying, well, here's the idea, I don't know if I agree with it. And they would like pull things apart and say, here's the message, here's what we think about the message they're, they're, they're giving out. Francis Schaefer had a strategy, when he met someone, he, he said he would lift the roof off their worldview. He would examine what they believed and ask, why do you believe this? He critiqued the culture. So sometimes really smart people, really big brainy people, love to sit outside the culture like spectators, watch what everyone's doing, and then kind of like talk about it from outside. You know what I'm saying? That's critiquing the culture. Some people like to copy the culture. Christians are really good at that. If the Christians have a boy, I'm sorry, if the world, if in the world, boy bands are popular, we're going to have a Christian boy band. Let's go, baby. Right? Ska's popular, Christian ska band. We just take what's popular and make it not offensive, not vulgar. Um, that, for us, I, I remember going to Christian bookstores, and in those, I'd see like Christian like breathments. I don't know why certs are evil and these are good, but there's like, we Christianize everything. There's a Christian version of everything out there. So some Christians think if it's popular out in the culture, I'll just copy it and put like a, I'll paint it Jesus colored and then I'll put it back out for, for people to consume. The fourth way, so you can, you can condemn culture, you can critique culture, you can copy the culture. You can consume the culture. This means you just eat it. And a lot of us do that. A lot of my generation, we are consumers of culture. Because here's what happened. If my parents condemn the culture, I react against them, right? You guys were crazy. I'm going to be different than you. So... I, so my generation almost says, it's a condemning culture, I'm going to be hip and cool, and I'm going to be a part of everything the culture has to give me. I'm going to watch every movie, listen to every band. There are no off limits because I am that open-minded, I am that cool. And so we basically drink from the water hose that is our culture, and we let everything in, no filter. Which is not a good idea for us, is it? Because culture is not neutral. There are, every TV show you watch, every movie you watch, every album you listen to, there are ideas coming into you. Some Christians choose to just open themselves up and let that culture just flow into them. Mm, give it to me. We just take it all. Some Christians condemn the culture. Some critique it. Some copy it, and some just consume it. And there are two proactive ways to engage culture. Not just reactions, but being proactive toward changing culture. The first way we can change culture is to cultivate culture. Cultivate culture. And this means... We there's, there's a lot of culture out there, right? A lot of TV shows, a lot of albums, a lot of books... 
To cultivate culture is to search for beautiful and true things. And when we find them, we raise up and say, everybody, look at This thing is good and worth engaging. We try to find and share the things that are worthwhile in the world. That's a good thing to do. We all do this in some way, right? Like, if you go to a good restaurant, and let's say, go, let's say okay, what's the best burger in the city of Flint? Any, any opinions? Best burger in the city limits, what do you think? No one has any, any, no one, no opinions in the house? Five guys, get out of my face. <laughs> what? The torch used to be, but they, their quality's falling off. Oh, your house is the best burger? Dude, my wife made burgers for us last night, and, I, 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 and they were square. And I was like, this is White Castle, what are we doing here? But um, the best burger currently in the city of Flint, Soggy Bottom. Ah, dude, Soggy Bottom, the spicy Southwest, baby. Um, listen, because I like that burger, because I found a burger truly worth praise, I tell people about it. Like, dude, if you want a good burger, that's your place over there. I'm just, I'm just sharing the good I find. So listen, when it comes to culture, if I, dude, we have a, a book club here at our church, and me and my wife try to take, take, take books and say, these books are worth your time. Give this one a read. So right there, we have the, <laughs> we have those ghetto library in, in America right there on the shelf. That's the Flint City Public Library right there. Uh, <laughs> the Flint City Library. Um, our, our book for this month is God's Smuggler. If you've never read it before, oh, if you want missions in your heart, that's a great book to read. We have one copy left. It's 10 bucks if you want to buy it. Um, but we're trying to take culture and ra- say, listen, this is worth your time, worth your attention. That's one way to engage culture is to cultivate the good and share it with others. Another way to engage culture, to transform culture some really smart guy whose name I can't remember, he said, the only way to change culture is to create more of it. Create culture. Listen. Creating culture, creating cultural artifacts can change the conversation out there beyond ourselves. There's a band called Switchfoot. They're a Christian band from the 90s. They had a huge album back in like 1997 or something like that. Dare You to Move. What else did they have? I don't know. There's, there's other songs in that album. Good stuff. Meant to Live. That's a good one. I'm going to see of my wife next month. Yeah. But people will tell, I heard a, lot of people, a lot of Christians will say, Richard had two good albums. They just appeared. They dropped off the map. They didn't fall off the map. You know what they did? They made it in the Christian world, and they decided we want our music not to be an alternative to rock and roll for Christian kids. We want to engage the world for Jesus. So Switchfoot went to Europe, and they would travel and do all these like metal shows and hard rock shows, and they're not even that hard rock at all. No one knew who they were. They'd go. They were the, 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 they were the opener for the openers. They'd be booed off stages across Europe. They go play their music with the hope we want to bring the message we have out to the world. And some of their songs, people say, well, some of their songs aren't overtly Christian. And they weren't. But the themes of redemption, the theme of faith, they were there in their work. 
They created culture and they engaged the world on the world's thinking stage. Love that stuff. Another example is U2, the band. Bono loves Jesus. He has a song called 40 that's Psalm 40 to music. That's in a record store. You can buy an album that has Yahweh's name in the songs. They ask him, are you a Christian band? He goes, no, we're Christians who are in a band. I'm like, mm, I don't know, I'm going to answer. <laughs> they're creating culture, though, and they're bringing their faith to the fans that they have. If you're here and you're gifted in the arts, create stuff. Make music, paint paintings, write poetry, write stories. We need good art from Christians to help go out there and change the conversation. We can't just let Hollywood and this world's values be the only stories being told. We have stories worth telling too. We can create some culture. Now, I gave you six different ways to engage culture. And they all start with C because I'm a really good Baptist. <laughs> you can condemn culture. You can, you can critique culture. You can copy culture. You can consume culture. You can cultivate culture. Or you can create culture. Which one should you do? Well, here's the thing. It's not about having a posture and saying, I will always condemn. That's not the answer. Instead, you need a gesture towards culture, meaning you must engage every individual cultural artifact and decide, how do I engage this part of our culture? Because there are some things in culture that are worth condemning, aren't there? There are things our culture does we should not do. We should say that's bad. For example, our culture loves if someone on Facebook is really snarky and mean, we're like, sick burn, dude. That's, like, that's, that's praised. We shouldn't high-five that. We're about to enter into an election cycle next year. It might be round two, right? And round one wasn't pretty, was it? And people in our, our culture, American culture, we love yelling at people and not talking to people. We should condemn that meanness. We should not be mean like the world is mean. That's, we should condemn and say, that ain't no good. That ain't no good. There are some things our culture does we should condemn. Amen? Yes. Critiquing culture. We should critique our culture sometimes. This last uh, summer, we had this movie come out um, called, was a, it was a movie event. It was called Barbieheimer. You heard of this? There was two movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer, and they made a bunch of money. I, my wife and I had an anniversary like two weeks ago. I'm like, babe, for anniversary, let's go to the movies and watch Barbie and Oppenheimer back to back. And she's like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm like, babe, all day in the theater? Popcorn for seven hours? She's like, I'll be in the car. I'm like, okay, that's like, that's it. But um, I want to see the I want to see the movies for this reason. I wanted to see what everyone was watching and see. I wanted to ask the question: what's being communicated? What message is in this art being given to our culture? I wanted to engage the cultural conversation so I have an opinion and talk to people who are out in the world. I didn't want to go there for entertainment. I wanted to go there to learn where is our culture at and what do they value. 
See the difference? I'm not going there to eat popcorn. Well, I'm going to eat popcorn, but I'm not going there to be entertained. I'm going there to learn where my culture and where my country is at. See the difference? I'm a student. I'm not merely a consumer. Copy culture. Listen, there are some things in our culture that are okay to copy. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. If our culture does something well, we should learn from them. Listen, a few years ago, there was this movement in our culture called the Me Too movement. You heard of this? And the Me Too movement was just simply saying, in places of power, in the halls of power, oftentimes the voices of women were, were not listened to. Abusers were protected and victims were silenced. That happened. And listen, it did happen. Now, that came out of like the left part of the political spectrum. Because of that, a lot of people on the right, including Christians, were like, the Me Too movement's Marxist, and we just were mean to it. Listen, the Church of Jesus Christ should have said, man, in our institutions, in our churches, have we protected abusers and silenced victims? We should have learned from that cultural moment and asked hard questions of ourselves. Understood? In that moment, we should have learned from them instead of ignoring them. And instead, a lot of bad things were revealed about churches in America. That we can be just as ugly as the world. Consume culture. Is it ever okay to consume culture? Sure it is. It's okay to enjoy entertainment sometimes, isn't it? To have fun. Listen, football started last Thursday, didn't it? And the Lions stinking one, didn't they? Listen, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, baby. I'm all in, baby. We're going to the NFC Championship, baby. Like, listen, when I watch football, my, I am not, I'm not in prayer. I'm not like, Lord, use this football game to make me a more holy man. I'm literally just, I'm having a good time for a good two and a half hours. My Coca-Cola and my snacky snack, and it's a good ticket afternoon. You're allowed to entertain yourself sometimes. You're allowed to consume culture sometimes. But listen, as Christians, a lot of us, we consume entirely too much entertainment. There's so much out there, and we just watch it all. We should ask the question, Lord, is what am I letting into my soul? Is it hurting me? At least ask the question. Do you know what I'm saying? It's okay to consume some we shouldn't consume all of it. There's some of it that is not worth what it costs. There are some movies and some shows that I want to see, but there's so much in it that's so... It'll hurt me as a person. I can't go there. I can't go there. I just watched a show called Mad Men with Don Draper in it. And Don Draper's a terrible person. I, I, he made me laugh so much. I thought he was the greatest, even though he was a terrible person. And I realized four episodes in, this guy's becoming a hero of mine, and he's the bad guy. And I put that show down. Because it was, it was, it was, I, I was starting to talk a little meaner than normal. And I already have way more than I need of that. I had to put that show, that show was hurt. I had to put that show down. I can't consume this. It's going to affect me negatively. So when it comes to us in culture, we have to be wise, full of prayer. Lord, 
Can I engage this cultural thing? How should I engage it? As we read Daniel, listen, we're going to watch Daniel in Babylon, and sometimes he will condemn the culture. Sometimes he'll consume culture. You'll see Daniel do different things based upon what is happening at the moment in the place he is. He becomes friends with a wicked king. How crazy is that? We have to be prayerful, spirit-filled, and wise as we engage culture, okay? Understood? Wise, spirit-filled, full of prayer as we engage this culture, because we do not want to be conformed to this culture's image. We have a different king. We have different values. With that said, let us pray together. Father, in heaven, thank you so much for your servant Daniel, who loves you, who serves you. He's a stranger in a strange land, just like we are. Give us wisdom, Lord, who walk in this world how to be wise, how to be true and pure and good and loving. Challenge us this day, Lord. Challenge our how we engage culture. Some of us in this room, we're condemners. Some of us in this room, we're consumers, Lord, and we have, to, we have to change. So as we leave this place, let us leave this place and go out into the world. Let us change this culture for your glory and your kingdom. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen.